Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. John Locke's Second Treatise of Government, Chapter 19, Sections 223 through 233. Section 223. To this, perhaps, it will be said, that the people being ignorant and always discontented, to lay the foundation of government in the unsteady opinion and uncertain humor of the people, is to expose it to certain ruin. And no government will be able long to subsist if the people may set up a new legislative whenever they take offense at the old one. To this I answer, quite the contrary. People are not so easily got out of their old forms as some are apt to suggest. They are hardly to be prevailed with to amend the acknowledged faults in the frame they have been accustomed to. And if there be any original defects, or adventitious ones introduced by time or corruption, it is not an easy thing to get them changed, even when all the world sees there is an opportunity for it. This slowness and aversion in the people to quit their old constitutions has in the many revolutions that have been seen in this kingdom in this and former ages, still kept us to, or after some interval of fruitless attempts, still brought us back again to, our old legislative of kings, lords, and commons. And whatever provocations have made the crown to be taken from some of our princes' heads, they never carried the people so far as to place it in another line. Section 224. But it will be said this hypothesis lays a ferment for frequent rebellion to which I answer, first, no more than any other hypothesis. For when the people are made miserable and find themselves exposed to the ill usage of arbitrary power, cry up their governors as much as you will for sons of Jupiter. Let them be sacred and divine, descended or authorized from heaven. Give them out for whom or what you please. The same will happen. The people generally ill-treated, and contrary to right, will be ready upon any occasion to ease themselves of a burden that sits heavy upon them. They will wish and seek for the opportunity, which in the change, weakness, and accidents of human affairs seldom delays long to offer itself. He must have lived but a little while in the world, who has not seen examples of this in his time. And he must have read very little who cannot produce examples of it in all sorts of governments in the world. Section 225. Secondly, I answer, such revolutions happen not upon every little mismanagement in public affairs. Great mistakes in the ruling part, many wrong and inconvenient laws, and all the slips of human frailty will be borne by the people without mutiny or murmur. But if a long train of abuses, prevarications, and artifices, all tending the same way, make the design visible to the people, and they cannot but feel what they lie under, and see whither they are going. It is not to be wondered that they should then rouse themselves, and endeavor to put the rule into such hands which may secure to them the ends for which government was at first erected, and without which ancient names and specious forms are so far from being better, that they are much worse than the state of nature or pure anarchy the inconveniences being all as great and as near, but the remedy farther off, and more difficult. Section 226. Thirdly, I answer, 
that this power in the people of providing for their safety anew by a new legislative when their legislators have acted contrary to their trust by invading their property is the best fence against rebellion and the probable means to hinder it for rebellion being in opposition not to persons but authority which is founded only in the constitutions and laws of the government those whoever they be who by force break through and by force justify their violation of them are truly and properly rebels for when men by entering into society and civil government have excluded force and introduced laws for the preservation of property peace and unity amongst themselves those who set up force again in opposition to the laws do rebellare that is bring back again the state of war and are properly rebels which they who are in power by the pretense they have to authority the temptation of force they have in their hands and the flattery of those about them being likeliest to do the proper way to prevent the evil is to show them the danger and injustice of it who are under the greatest temptation to run into it section 227 in both the forementioned cases when either the legislative is changed or the legislators act contrary to the end for which they were constituted those who are guilty are guilty of rebellion for if any one by force takes away the established legislative of any society and the laws by them made pursuant to their trust he thereby takes away the umpirage which every one had consented to for a peaceable decision of all their controversies and a bar to the state of war amongst them they who remove or change the legislative take away this decisive power which nobody can have but by the appointment and consent of the people and so destroying the authority which the people did and nobody else can set up and introducing a power which the people hath not authorized actually introduce a state of war which is that of force without authority and thus by removing the legislative established by the society in whose decisions the people acquiesced and united as to that of their own will they untie the knot and expose the people anew to the state of war and if those who by force take away the legislative are rebels the legislators themselves as has been shown can be no less esteemed so when they who were set up for the protection and preservation of the people their liberties and properties shall by force invade and endeavor to take them away and so they putting themselves into a state of war with those who made them the protectors and guardians of their peace are properly and with the greatest aggravation rebelantes rebels section two hundred twenty eight but if they who say it lays a foundation for rebellion mean that it may occasion civil wars or intestine broils to tell the people they are absolved from obedience when illegal attempts are made upon their liberties or properties and may oppose the unlawful violence of those who were their magistrates when they invade their properties contrary to the trust put in them and that therefore this doctrine is not to be allowed being so destructive to the peace of the world they may as well say upon the same ground that honest men may not oppose robbers or pirates because this may occasion disorder or bloodshed if any mischief come in such cases it is not to be charged upon him who defends his own right but on him that invades his neighbors if the innocent honest man must quietly quit all he has for peace sake to him who will lay violent hands upon it i desire it may be considered 
what a kind of peace there will be in the world, which consists only in violence and rapine, and which is to be maintained only for the benefit of robbers and oppressors. Who would not think it an admirable peace betwixt the mighty and the mean when the lamb, without resistance, yielded his throat to be torn by the imperious wolf? Polyphemus' den gives us a perfect pattern of such a peace, and such a government, wherein Ulysses and his companions had nothing to do but quietly to suffer themselves to be devoured. And no doubt Ulysses, who was a prudent man, preached up passive obedience, and exhorted them to a quiet submission, by representing to them of what concernment peace was to mankind, and by showing the inconveniences might happen if they should offer to resist Polyphemus, who had now the power over them. Section 229. The end of government is the good of mankind, and, which is best for mankind, that the people should be always exposed to the boundless will of tyranny, or that the rulers should be sometimes liable to be opposed, when they grow exorbitant in the use of their power, and employ it for the destruction, and not the preservation of the properties of their people. Section 230. Nor let anyone say that mischief can arise from hence as often as it shall please a busy head or turbulent spirit to desire the alteration of the government. It is true, such men may stir whenever they please, but it will be only to their own just ruin and perdition. For till the mischief be grown general and the ill designs of the rulers become visible, or their attempts sensible to the greater part, the people, who are more disposed to suffer than right themselves by resistance, are not apt to stir. The examples of particular injustice, or oppression of here and there an unfortunate man, moves them not. But if they universally have a persuasion, grounded upon manifest evidence, that designs are carrying on against their liberties, and the general course and tendency of things cannot but give them strong suspicions of the evil intention of their governors, who is to be blamed for it? Who can help it, if they, who might avoid it, bring themselves into this suspicion? Are the people to be blamed, if they have the sense of rational creatures, and can think of things no otherwise than as they find and feel them? And is it not rather their fault, who put such things into such a posture? that they would not have them thought to be as they are. I grant that the pride, ambition, and turbulency of private men have sometimes caused great disorders in commonwealths, and factions have been fatal to states and kingdoms. But whether the mischief hath oftener begun in the people's wantonness and a desire to cast off the lawful authority of their rulers, or in the ruler's insolence and endeavors to get and exercise an arbitrary power over their people, whether oppression or disobedience gave the first rise to the disorder, I leave it to impartial history to determine. This I am sure. Whoever, either ruler or subject, by force goes about to invade the rights of either prince or people, and lays the foundation for overturning the constitution and frame of any just government, is highly guilty of the greatest crime, I think, a man is capable of, being to answer for all those mischiefs of blood, rapine, and desolation, which the breaking to pieces of governments bring on a country. And he who does it is justly to be esteemed the common enemy and pest of mankind, 
and is to be treated accordingly. Section 231. That subjects or foreigners, attempting by force on the properties of any people, may be resisted with force, is agreed on all hands. But that magistrates, doing the same thing, may be resisted, hath of late been denied. As if those who had the greatest privileges and advantages by the law had thereby a power to break those laws, by which alone they were set in a better place than their brethren. Whereas their offense is thereby the greater, both as being ungrateful for the greater share they have by the law, and breaking also that trust which is put into their hands by their brethren. Section 232. Whoever uses force without right, as everyone does in society who does it without law, puts himself into a state of war with those against whom he so uses it, and in that state all former ties are cancelled, all other rights cease, and everyone has a right to defend himself and to resist the aggressor. This is so evident that Barclay himself, that great asserter of the power and sacredness of kings, is forced to confess that it is lawful for the people in some cases to resist their king, and that too in a chapter wherein he pretends to show that the divine law shuts up the people from all manner of rebellion, whereby it is evident, even by his own doctrine, that since they may in some cases resist, all resisting of princes is not rebellion. His words are these, in English thus. Section 233. But if anyone should ask, must the people then always lay themselves open to the cruelty and rage of tyranny? Must they see their cities pillaged and laid in ashes, their wives and children exposed to the tyrant's lust and fury, and themselves and families reduced by their king to ruin, and all the miseries of want and oppression, and yet sit still? Must men alone be debarred the common privilege of opposing force with force which nature allows so freely to all other creatures for their preservation from injury? I answer, self-defense is a part of the law of nature, nor can it be denied the community, even against the king himself. But to revenge themselves upon him must by no means be allowed them, it being not agreeable to that law. Wherefore, if the king shall show an hatred, not only to some particular persons, but sets himself against the body of the commonwealth, whereof he is the head, and shall, with intolerable ill-usage, cruelly tyrannize over the whole, or a considerable part, of the people. In this case the people have a right to resist and defend themselves from injury. But it must be with this caution, that they only defend themselves, but do not attack their prince. They may repair the damages received, but must not for any provocation exceed the bounds of due reverence and respect. They may repulse the present attempt, but must not revenge past violences, for it is natural to us to defend life and limb, but that an inferior should punish a superior is against nature. The mischief which is designed them, the people may prevent before it is done, but when it is done, they must not revenge it on the king, though author of the villainy. This, therefore, is the privilege of the people in general, above what any private person hath, that particular men are allowed by our adversaries themselves, Buchanan only excepted, 
to have no other remedy but patience. But the body of the people may with respect resist intolerable tyranny, for when it is but moderate, they ought to endure it. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right.